What other cool, fun, interesting things did you do in those four years? Mining gold in the jungle in English Guyana in South America and days off into the jungle so where no roads um, go. So that was really at a very, very special area. And actually, I got enough gold to when I got back and got married to make my own wedding ring out of it and my wife's too. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 435. The Weihenstefaner Brewery, just north of Munich, has been operating since 1040. Yes, that's 1040 AD. That's a long time. Making it the world's oldest brewery. You better believe that I'm going to try to get tickets to that 1,000th anniversary celebration. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who has hitchhiked across oceans, who started off on a four-year journey around the world with only $50 in his pocket and came home with a wife, and who is a fellow twin, Christopher Schott, author of Around the World on 50 Bucks. Christopher, thanks for joining me. A huge welcome. It's great to be on the show. I am uh, very excited to chat with you. And I, in my intro, I always say that it teaches you how to travel more while spending less. But today, you're going to be the one who's the expert in that because you have certainly uh, done that on your adventure. But before we start talking about all this, I saw that you were a twin. I saw that mentioned somewhere on one of your sites. And you said your twin is the exact opposite of you. So explain that. How is he the exact opposite of you? Okay, first of all, from the appearance... And I have blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm about one, 183 centimeters. I think that's something like six foot um, tall. And my brother is about 10 centimeters, so about three inches more um, taller than me. And But then this is only the outside part. He's got brown hair, brown eyes. But from the inside, I'm sort of the person who wants to go out and explore the adventurous type of person. And he's such a comfortable, home-drawn guy. So he would rather die than leaving his nice, comfy home and bed and uh, toilet. So, yeah, yeah. Actually, this was one of his concerns when I was going on this world trip. He said, okay, maybe you don't want to miss this opportunity for all the money in the world, but I wouldn't want to do it for all the money in the world. So tell me, where are you going to go to the toilet while you're out in the woods and all that? And I'm going to sit here on my nice heated <laughs> toilet and, <laughs> yeah. It, isn't so, it? It's crazy, right? How you can have the same upbringing, same parents, and yet be completely different, especially when it comes to personalities. Yeah, what I tend to say in those times is, um, Benedict, you know that I'm five minutes older than you, so once you will hit my age, we'll talk again. <laughs> okay, that's an awesome line. It's interesting because, you know, obviously twins are not that uncommon, but but I don't meet a ton of people who are twins, and, and I'm a twin myself. Now, I have a twin sister, and we are... We are very much different in in most ways. Like I think people who know us would say, "Oh, they're they're pretty different." But then every once in a while, something happens, and and I feel like I'm either acting like her or I say something. I'm like, "Oh, I sound like my sister." So, is there ever? I know you say you're exact opposites, but are there any times or any situations where you do see yourselves sharing certain things or traits? Totally. So, especially humor. When we were in the same class, only one glance to each other would be enough to just burst out laughing and everybody else would be like, what's going on here? This is so crazy. And until until today, there's no other person on this planet who I laugh with so much like with my brother. 
So that's really amazing. I love this guy. Uh, even though we are completely different, we get along very, very well. Yeah, that, that is awesome. And, and yeah, people always ask me, well, how, what is it like to be a twin? How's it different? I'm, I don't know because I don't know what it's like not to be a twin, right? So yeah, there's, there, there's also this strange telepathy thing, this creepy <laughs> mind contact going on that you cannot really explain unless you're a twin. For sure, for sure. So let's talk about your journey a bit. A journey that, as as your brother put it, you would not give up for all the money in the world and he wouldn't go on for all the money in the world. And you left on this journey, $50 in your pocket, no plan. So when you first left, how long in your head did you actually think it would last? So I left on the 1st of July, 2013. And at that point... Of course, all my relatives wanted to know, Christopher, how long are you going to be gone for? And I usually talked them off as saying, well, I don't know. If I give you a deadline, then you would say probably after two years, Christopher, you said you're going to be back after two years. So now where you are? <laughs> and I want to avoid that. I will need as long as I need. So no time frame at all. That's usually what I said. Brush them off like this. But um secretly i th i actually thought about two years and then later on it turned out to be four because two is definitely not enough to get once around the world without an airplane yeah and okay so you brought that up that was one of the big things about this this trip was that you were you took no airplanes that was intentional from the very beginning that you weren't going to take airplanes so at the very beginning i wanted to try it but i didn't know if it was possible and um then once I crossed the Atlantic Ocean, I realized, okay, it's doable. And if I've done that, then, okay, <laughs> Pacific, here I come. So I might just as well give it a try to just continue like this. And once I hit the Pacific, then it's obvious now I, I would I would actually v v yeah, totally waste this experience of once having gone around the world without losing this feeling for time and space because when you're going into an airplane then you drink your tomato juice and sit there for seven hours watch a movie and when you get out you're at a completely different place and you don't really know how you got there so it's almost like teleporting and te or teleportation but when you travel the distance by water, by land, and all that, you sort of got the space in between and the feeling for the distance, and that's very precious. That is a that's a great perspective that you and you see things changing, right? Like whether it be it, we know that countries like are just lines drawn on a map, so that might you know it's not like you cross over one, it's all of a sudden different. But that that can be the case sometimes based on how good the roads are and all that kind of stuff. But you have you see everything as you go, and so it's. It's kind of like listening to good music, I feel. You know, you put on an album and you listen all the way through and you don't really realize sometimes what, like the yeah, different that's, songs. That's a very good comparison. Very good comparison. Yeah. yeah, I love that with good music. I'm not sitting there saying, oh, this is the next song. Okay, now I'm in the next song. It just it just flows. And then you're done the album. Yeah. You're like, whoa, that was quick, right? You know, so. <laughs> when, so you, and it's a great experience as well, yeah. For sure. And so you said you had no no plan, but there must have been, or, or maybe there wasn't, places that you wanted to see, because obviously you could spend, you could spend your whole life traveling just around Europe and, and have no plan and take no planes, and that would be kind of easy, right? Uh, Europe's very easy to take no planes around. So did you have certain like places that you were trying to get to or or did you completely go free-flowing? Totally. So first of all, I wanted to see Paris, for example, with the Eiffel Tower. This was sort of a European destination and Barcelona as well. But then after that, I had this big dream since my childhood, actually, to cross a great ocean on a sailing boat or sailing yacht. And then I fulfilled that dream by working on a sailing yacht. And so I started off from Gibraltar and then getting into the Caribbean. And because my parents spent their honeymoon in the Caribbean, I also always wanted to see that. And then I happened to be there. And uh, South America was always very intriguing to me, especially Rio de Janeiro and all these places. 
And once I got there, the list of the places I wanted to see just kept on expanding. <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. And you feel like you could spend your whole entire life there. But of course, that's, yeah, that's, I, I would say that's not realistic, but uh, at least one month in one one area or one uh, country, let's say, is sufficient to just get a gist of it, to get a feel what it may be like to live there or to spend some more time there. And I just went on like this, ticking off the major points on my list, like Rio de Janeiro and the Christ there, then, of course, Machu Picchu, the Panama Canal and all this. Yeah, so so you then decided, all right, I've got some things that are like on my list that I want to you know make my way to eventually. How did you decide when to move on? Because as you mentioned, that can be... With no plans and no itinerary and and no reason to have to come back, that could maybe be difficult too, right? Like how if you really like a place, you stay longer, but how long is too long, right? And then you kind of that push pull between, all right, I really like it. Should I just stay? And oh, well, there's a lot of more I want to see too. I mean, I feel that even on short trips. So I can't imagine like something completely open-ended. And how was it with you? Did you actually get married during your trip or did you start off as a couple already? We started off as a couple. Um, so, you know, I had traveled a little bit. My wife had traveled a little bit, but most of our travel life has been with each other. Yeah, so especially when you're single, you're more likely even to get stuck along the way because you may meet the girl, <laughs> the one girl of your life or whatever. So I met a lot of travelers on on my way <laughs> who just got stuck at one area and married and got children and then the travel was done. So that's very likely to happen. Um, in my case, sort of, yeah, I, I, I had this big longing and this big dream to see the entire world and once i sort of got into the everyday life at one place i knew okay now it's time to move on and even though if i loved the place i loved the people i said okay i could always come back but i just want to see the next place now it's sort of this uh this adventurous explorer heart in myself that was always pushing me to the next place and then again because i was going around the world Without a plane, I was also dependent on the sailing seasons. So once I got to South America, I knew I had about one year for the entire uh, continent. Otherwise, I would miss the sailing opportunity for the Pacific Ocean, which is just a very narrow weather window of about February to May. But then that's it. Um, if you if you don't get um, get on your way. By that time, then you might just as well wait another year, with which I thought is probably not the wisest thing to do, since my mother is already waiting and saying, "Okay, Christopher, don't take too long." All right, right, right. Don't take don't take longer than four years, Christopher. Come on, I mean, four is where she draws the line, right? Um, Actually, I would have loved to draw the line at one year already, but yeah, interesting. So you mentioned a really good point here, where you said. You know, when I started to feel like it became day to day, that's when I felt like I should move on. Was there something that like specific thing, no matter where you were in the world, that that kind of triggered that? Like, oh, I know when this is happening, this makes me feel like it's time to move on. So the longer and the more you travel, the faster you get to this point, because you really get into the habit of building up a whole new life at a whole new place faster and faster, finding a job, finding a place to stay, um, meeting all the people around there, getting to know the culture, learning the language also, and all that to a certain degree. And usually, so at the, at the very beginning, it would take me almost one to two months to really get into that feeling. And later on, I would just need about two weeks to feel like I'm there, sometimes even less, depending on the area that you're in. Interesting. But, yeah. So so it started happening. You started getting more like ready to go, more antsy, quicker the longer that you traveled. Because you felt like you could kind of get into a culture and understand it and see it a bit. 
and 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 feel like a little bit under the surface you were able to do that quicker because you had traveled more yeah so at the very beginning i would say for the entire first year i only learned how to actually travel doing all this with the visa and yeah adapting to the certain areas and where how do i find a place to stay how do i find some work and all that and after about one year i got most of the tricks and with with that in in my back i could be yeah i could adapt to the certain places much faster and i could focus on the people and the culture and then later on actually i would i would say if i have to sum up the whole four years the, in the first year i mainly learned about traveling then in the second year year i learned a lot about the country and the people and and then at the third year this got so much of a routine that i started to learn a lot about myself because i was being mirrored by the people in the places that you get to and uh, some things tend to repeat itself and then in the fourth year i started to be able to also let others participate in all these experiences and then i started also writing the book and all that so it just is a rough overview <laughs> yeah that is a that's a really interesting way to sum it up and i think that you, i will echo a lot of people have come on the show and talked about you know whether it be trying to build a business while traveling or traveling full time and said like the first year or or roughly around that time frame you're just learning how to travel like learning how to full time travel is a full time job and it is. it's something it is. you have to learn like you said the tips and tricks you have to figure it out and and you know you'll get better at it as you do it more and more and more and then all of a sudden once you are better at it then you can start adding stuff in like you mentioned yeah yeah exactly and they they have a saying in german aller anfang ist schwer every beginning is very hard and that certainly holds too true for travel as well traveling on a low budget at least yeah what places did you spend the most time in were there specific places that you were in for longer than others i spent almost half a year in korea that was because i wanted to learn the language and it was also a good place to stock up a little bit on my budget again <laughs> after crossing the entire ocean and with all these pacific islands you cannot really work there and before that because i needed to wait for the sailing time for korea i also spent about five months on the philippines and working there at 40 degrees in the sun grinding down our fiberglass deck of the boat because we wanted to renew the whole teak and all that the wood and that was a really dirt job <laughs> and I did that for about $2 an hour, 40 degrees in the direct sun without any shade. That was incredible. So once I got to Korea, I said, okay, I'm going to avoid these jobs from now on a little bit, or at least shorten them. So in Korea, I worked as a golf shoe model because they've got these smart shoes that could measure your weight. And, I, and they want to sell these to the Western markets. So they need some European or American looking people. And I fit <laughs> that spot perfectly. So then I actually got more and more into advertisement. I also did a Kickstarter trailer for a smart backpack and all that. And then later on into a medical study for growth hormone. Okay. I wanted to the Western markets as well. All, in, all this was in Korea? All of that was in Korea, yeah. Nice. <laughs> so just like that. Yeah, so you went from, I mean, who could give up a job like that? You went from sitting there basically grinding down the deck of a boat in crazy heat, no shade, $2 an hour, to getting to hang out and be a golf shoe model. I mean, that's a pretty big upgrade in my book. <laughs> it was, it was. It was phenomenal. Actually, that golf course, uh, that, that place where we, how, how do you call that, golf? golf, Like a course, golf? like where you play golf? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that, that field where we played was owned by Samsung and LG because the startup was owned by Samsung. And in the whole year, there was there were just a handful of families playing on this golf course. And the membership just to entry was $800,000. And we were able to play on that just for, <laughs> for the advertisement. So that was phenomenal. 
Nice. All right. So one of the things you're talking you're talking about is is getting money, right? And making money because you started with fifty dollars in your pocket. So you you obviously there's there's two ways to do it, right? To continue to travel. Like you have to do it really cheap. But even if you do it really cheap, fifty dollars is is only gonna go so far. So how did you let let's go back to the very beginning of the story? I you show this in the video that you shot, like you started outside of your house and you had fifty dollars in your pocket. What you know, how far did that $50 get you? When did you have to first tap into, all right, I'm going to have to work and make some money? Oh, um, I think you don't know the story yet, don't you? I, I don't know it all, no. Okay, so the, the <laughs> with 35 of these $50, I got into the first night in Amsterdam. So I spent 35 of my 50 bucks on the very first night in Amsterdam. That was crazy because Amsterdam is just a four and a half hours drive from where I live. So with I got my backpack in in the morning time and went onto the road and started hitchhiking away. And then in the by evening time, um, approaching the dawn, I reached Amsterdam with a Swedish couple and they were doing a road trip through Europe and saying, Christopher, come on, this is Amsterdam. We need to explore the streets and the city and the nightlife. Are you in? And I said, all right, <laughs> count on me. <laughs> and so I was allowed to leave my backpack in, in the car. And then we went on through the well-lit streets at night in Amsterdam, walking down this this old road um, with this nice pavement and beautiful bars on the left and on the right and golden signs saying something like beer $4.50. And I was thinking, oh my, these prices, that's so expensive. And the Swedish couple, and you know, they have a very high alcohol tax in Sweden. They were say, looking at this price and saying, oh, that's dirt cheap. Come on, let's have a drink here. And then pulling me in and ordering three drinks. And I was only nipping a little bit on my drink to, to not be too quickly but the two swedish guys as the, the the girl and the guy they sort of drank that in in one sip just away and then ordered the next three ones and then i was um telling them okay you know this may not be the right place for me maybe and they say okay we know exactly what you mean let's go into a coffee shop and then we went into a coffee shop and the evening got along that way and in the next morning, I woke up in the car. It was about 9 a.m. And I, I opened the, the car door to let some air in and reached out to a water bottle somewhere in the, in the front of the car and took a few sips and then uh, rubbed my head because I had such a strong headache and hangover. And then was thinking, what the heck happened last night? <laughs> I can't even remember. And then reached into my pocket and was counting, how, how much do I have left? And it was just 15 quid. And I thought, no, <laughs> my travel is almost over before it began. It's horrible. <laughs> it's how could I do it? What I'm such an idiot. And yeah, really, I, I cursed myself for having been that dumb on the very first night, 35 bucks of my, <laughs> my 50 bucks. So how should I continue? Should I call my mom and tell her, you know, mom, <laughs> I'm going to be back. It was just a weekend trip, you know. <laughs> and then I realized I had a small sheet of paper in my pocket with an address on that and i remembered that there was a young spanish guy in, in front of one of these clubs who told me if you want to do the same job just uh, go to this address and apply and i thought okay maybe i could try this and then i went to this address and there were people there and i could immediately have a job interview and then i was working for one month as a party tour guide in amsterdam and this guy who gave me the address then happened to become my flatmate. And he was gay and on ecstasy at the time when he gave me the address and was thinking I'm an angel. <laughs> and this is why he gave me the address. He wanted to work with an angel. At least that. But so I don't know. That, that, wow. So I, yeah. So you were working the, as a party tour guide within basically 24 hours or whatever, two days, less than two days of leaving your yeah. house in Germany. Exactly. So <laughs> if, if I would start 
this trip over again, I would probably do a few things different. <laughs> that's the way yeah. it goes, though. That that's the beauty of travel, too, right? You 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 can't recreate it, right? You can't recreate what that happens. You just go with the flow. So then, you 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 started taking a job, and obviously, you knew you were going to have to work. You know, at some point. Um, what were then some of the other interesting jobs that you had? I mean, I don't know if anything tops a golf shoe model, but maybe I, I haven't heard them all. What other cool, fun, interesting things did you do in those four years? Mining gold in the jungle in English Guyana in South America and days off into the jungle. So where no roads um, go so that was really at a very very special area and actually i got enough gold to when i got back and got married to make my own wedding ring out of it and my wife's too so that was that was kind of nice with this sort of river gold and forging that ourselves yeah and another job was selling fruit salad at the beach in rio de janeiro and i was also working as a petrol boy in peru that was very funny all the cab drivers they, they just stopped by to see this funny german there and having this german <laughs> traveler fill up their cars and i was working in the panama canal as a line handler because uh, at these gates when they let the water in and out you have whirl pools or whirlwinds starting in the water that would actually draw the boats onto the the side to the wall and they would crash and to prevent that you have to secure the boats in every direction with lines and the people pulling in these lines or giving them out are called line handlers so i did that a couple of times and also swam in the panama canal and there are crocodiles in there by the way (laughs) i don't know (laughs) The, the cartoon lake. I didn't meet one though while swimming. So, so how are you finding all these jobs? Then was it just uh, the same thing that happened your first night, where you just went out and someone said, "Hey, if you want to do this, uh, you know, by the way, go down here and and go ask for a job," or did you kind of come up with a system where you would go to a certain country and and find gigs? So if, if there is one fundamental principle to all of this, then it's people. So you cannot really do anything without people. Probably in the Western countries where you've got Craigslist and all that, you can uh, give that a shot. That's how, how I found a few jobs in Korea, but most of them I found actually also through people. So the, the golf shoe thing, I actually wanted to work as an English or German teacher in Korea. Even though you can clearly tell I'm not an <laughs> I'm not a native English speaker, uh, the looks are good enough for them <laughs> that I count as a native speaker. That's funny over there. So I, I've had a Korean friend, and she forwarded my email to a few other friends, and then later I got back an email. Pling, do you, uh, we don't need an English teacher, and I had a few pictures attached, but can you play any golf? I thought, why do they want to know if I can play any golf? <laughs> Actually, I never really did that in my life, only mini golf. And then I wrote them back. I'm sorry, I've never played golf in my life, but I'm still interested in an English teacher, perhaps. And then I get a message back and they said, no, no English teacher. But we talked about it. You don't need to play golf. You just need to look like it. So it's going to be good. And I said, okay. And then we had this <laughs> this deal. And in Venezuela, for example, I got to Coriapo, which is at the very eastern part, also very out in the the jungle. It's sort of the, the, the last small city that you have before you only get to the native villages because I was living there with um, the native South Americans, the Indios for some time as well. And I wanted to go there, so I was I was in this last village before that uh, Curiapo and there I met a guy who was renovating the bathrooms of the military in Venezuela and they were only with two people and the other one got sick so I just asked if I could join them and help them or that sort of developed in the conversation and then I ended up renovating the bathrooms of the military in Venezuela 
also the soldiers coming in from time to time to take a few pictures of that. It's so <laughs> it's really funny. So yeah, for you it was all about just making these connections because and that would make sense, right? You come into an area, you have you're new, you don't know anyone, you make a few connections and if you're willing to do something, then you know, a lot of exactly. times there's positions. Yeah, if you Exactly. If you're willing to do almost anything and you're let's say, willing to learn and motivate it and willing to also work for a very low price, then <laughs> almost everywhere opportunities will open up. And the more people you talk to, the more opportunities you will have. And usually the best opener for a conversation is just a question, asking for a way, uh, just a direction or whatever. And people, especially when they see you're not from there, you've got this huge backpack <laughs> carrying around with you and all that they want to know what you're doing here especially when you're traveling off the beaten path because so for example in brazil i've been to a town terra santa it's called which was pretty amazing i stayed there for about a month and i was also helping constructing a church there and um that i was w sort of working as in the construction there and uh, also making call and uh, for me that place was very important because I sort of also had my my own spiritual journey becoming more and more of a Christian there at especially that place um, but in in Terra Santa the last time they had a white guy there was 50 years ago so <laughs> I, I was the first one there since 50 years coming from the outside and so actually every day someone wanted to invite me for lunch just to <laughs> to talk to a stranger like this because the people hardly have the opportunity to go out and travel themselves so they want to know everything about it from you and are willing to pay a meal <laughs> for that especially in brazil the people are very friendly the food is very good and they're so so nice and welcoming yeah you i, I think i saw somewhere that you learned a few languages while you were on the road too. You mentioned wanting to stay in Korea so that you could learn the language. What languages did you speak when you left? And then what ones did you learn while you were on the road? So I think in America, Europeans are known to usually speak a couple of languages. But when I left, I was a bad European. I only spoke German, English, and had studied five years of Latin at school. But then... When I started, I learned about 500 words of Spanish. And then once I got to Spain, I quickly adopted the language and learned Spanish. And then I was working on an Italian sailing yacht. And Latin, Spanish, and Italian are not that different. They are different, but there are some words that are pretty similar, especially in the basic vocabulary. So it was way easier to learn Italian after I had learned Spanish already. And yeah, then in the three months working on that Italian sailing yacht, I learned Spanish and then uh, Italian, sorry. And then in South America, I improved my Spanish. In Brazil, learned Portuguese and then later on Korean. And a few words and phrases in a lot of other different languages like Fijian, Bula, Vaca Zabatico, <laughs> how are you? Hey, and Setico, very good, how are you? <laughs> And I don't know all these these things. Yeah. So did you set out to learn languages? Because that is something that opens up a lot of doors. And, you know, I think a, a thing that yeah, a lot of people want to learn. So did you plan on that when you were going to go on this journey of, of at least maybe one or two? Yeah, I knew that I had to learn Spanish in order to really enjoy traveling through South America. Otherwise, this would have been very difficult to do because, yeah, the only very few of the people there speak English and you have a far greater traveling experience if you speak the language. And then again, I realized that the language is the key to the heart of the people. So like I said, people are sort of the key to traveling. And then if the language is the key to the heart of the people and the culture as well to just understand the mindset there as well, uh, you really need to do whatever you can to learn the language as quick as possible. And you never know how long you're going to stay. So you should start right at the very beginning. Even if you think you're only going to stay for two weeks, you might end up staying half a year <laughs> at that area. And then it's definitely worth, uh, worth having started from the very beginning on. 
Yeah, one of the big things that you did, obviously, when you look at a map of, of your around-the-world trip is the oceans. And you talked about this a little bit, wanting to go across the oceans, but you know, not wanting to take a plane or not or thinking you might not take a plane, and then you were able to do that. So walk us through how this came about, how you ended up, quote-unquote, hitchhiking across the oceans. So at first, when I started... In Europe, I already had this big dream of crossing a big ocean. And then when I got to uh, Spain, I was working on a horse ranch there and meeting a retired 83-year-old sailing teacher who had told of my plans. And he was saying, oh, Christopher, you're so lucky because the sailing season is just coming up <laughs> in about a month or so. So you could go to Gibraltar and do your best. And then I said, oh, but Willy, I, I'm not really able <laughs> to sail. I've never done that in my life. And he said, don't worry, I will teach you a little bit. <laughs> and gave me his old sailing books. And then we had sort of this dry theory for about two months well, in my in my free time. <laughs> he was retired. He had time. That was really amazing. And then I went to Gibraltar. And Willy, that, he was uh, actually German but retiring to Spain and spending there the rest of his life. And uh, then he told me that a good skipper, so sort of the captain of a boat, would value a great attitude more than experience, which is sort of true, because when you spend a long time on an ocean with another person, you want to get along very well. And if you don't, it's probably not worth, <laughs> worth spending the time together. So... To make it an enjoyable experience, you really have to connect. And so in there in Gibraltar, even though I never sailed before, I was walking around the docks and knocking on the boats and saying, hello, are you probably crossing the Atlantic Ocean and still need a few hands to help you? And most of the people said, no, we are full, we don't need anyone. But then one of them said, maybe you should go to the Italian boat over there and <laughs> try your best because uh, this Italian man and his wife, they are waiting for friends to come. But apparently they haven't come in a few weeks. So I went there and uh, talked with them and they said, yes, I had my working colleague who wanted to come but uh, he couldn't get free of work. And the other one first wanted to come uh, because he had difficulties in his marriage, but now apparently they're getting along well again. So <laughs> it's working again. He's not coming. And it's so bad. <laughs> said, okay, but good for him. And good for me as well, because then he said, okay, let's do the journey together. And in my heart, I was already celebrating and jumping around and uh, for this great opportunity, lying ahead. And then he said, but let's not do it too quick. Let's have a test sailing from here to the Canary Islands. It's about five days. And if that turns out to be good, then we'll continue. And then I said, okay, but if it won't turn out, to be good <laughs> what happens then said okay then you stay on the island and i just continue <laughs> without you <laughs> okay <laughs> i was motivated <laughs> sure sure and like this i learned sailing pretty quick and this even though he was italian i think he was this old conservative mussolini um <laughs> i don't know disciple I, I almost said but he really loved my German straightness and <laughs> punctuality and uh, diligence and all this so yeah <laughs> so that that went obviously the trip to Canary Islands went well you didn't get left there then how long did it take to cross the Atlantic yeah so that was 28 days in total um, five days to the Canary Islands, then another seven days to the Cape Verde Islands, and then 16 more days to the Caribbean till we got to Grenada. Then later, the Pacific is even greater than that. It took us 31 entire days, so one entire month, to cross from Panama to the next islands, which is French Polynesia. Polynesia. And so for 31 days there, we didn't see any land. It's just the ocean, the boat, and the crew. And over that long time, you start to get a little bit hostile towards each other <laughs> sometimes. If you know that, that's actually that's part of the deal. It's normal. If you know it, then you're good. But if you are not prepared for that, then it can get a little bit uncomfortable. 
what was it tough for you either the the first trip or the one across the pacific were either of those tough having never spent that much time on a boat before did you did you start to feel a little like that you're going a little crazy well seasick uh, physically seasick or just like oh my gosh i this is a long journey like this is this is tough uh, it it sure helped that i was so excited for all this great experience and uh, my dream coming true that i sort of i dealt with uh, all the all the things that were unpleasant but once i started this trip because the wife of the italian guy was from thailand and she was seasick the whole time we were basically just two people steering the boat and i wasn't really aware that uh Actually, you need for 24 hours always at least one person who's on deck and taking care of the boat and that you're not running into other boats uh, when the wind is changing, that you're also adjusting the sails and all that and that you're um, keeping the course in the right direction. And since we were just two persons, we did two-hour shifts. So it was the Italian captain for two hours, then me two hours, then he two hours, then me two hours, then... Yeah, he, <laughs> he, me, and for five days straight, uh, the first three days, I hardly got any sleep at all. And then afterwards, um, actually, I tried to do a little bit longer because I thought probably if I just extend my shift to four or five hours, then probably the Italian might do the same, but he didn't. <laughs> so I ended up just being more exhausted. And yeah, so that that was really tough. Then I remember probably the third or the fourth, uh, fourth night i was just looking at this tiny red led light on the compass while the whole boat is going from one side to another and rolling really much it's um, especially near the strait of gibraltar the waves are very narrow to each other and pretty high as well so the boat is rolling like 30 degrees from the one side to 30 degrees to the other side it's really rocking and rolling a lot and I was just looking at this tiny red LED on the compass and the outside is pitch black and dark. And uh, just sometime in the morning, probably the moon is going to rise up. And yeah, and in between that, I saw, I don't know, creatures, whatever, <laughs> almost because I was just so so done and so exhausted. So yeah, that was that was a difficult part. But yeah, now, now that I'm looking back, it's funny. Yeah, and especially because you had never you had never spent any time really on a boat, right? So to go from that, from, yeah, you know, I kind of know what I'm doing because I read it in a book to then being the one who's in charge for hours on end in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Yeah. You've also got the bioluminescence bacteria and all this so when it's when it's very dark at nighttime behind the boat you've got this shiver of glow behind it's almost like uh, sparkling when you're hitting uh, maybe a knife and uh, as a blacksmith that is glowing and all these sparks go away it, it almost looks like this in blue behind the boat at nighttime it's incredible it's so it's so beautiful so there definitely is a lot of beauty and doing that, that's that was for sure <laughs> helping me to keep my motivation. And yeah, it, I also was very lucky that I wasn't seasick because usually the most persons are seasick for the first three days and then your body starts to adapt to the whole uh, movement. And because I wasn't seasick for the entire time from the very beginning on then the italian guy said okay so you're gonna do the cooking so we won't have a few more pieces in the soup (laughs) might help us and uh, then i did that and i made some good german food with potato and sausages and all that and then they got to me he and his wife and said christopher can you also cook something nice (laughs) like carbonara (laughs) pasta and all that salata it's okay and then they, they taught me how to do that. But I was offended nice. my German pride. <laughs> Everyone has to be humbled at some point, right? If, if, if you didn't get seasick, they had to humble you the other way by, uh, by getting on yeah, your German food. So you, you, met your, yeah, you met your wife during this trip, Well, who is now your wife. Obviously, she wasn't your wife at that point. How long into the trip was that and where did you meet? So about two years into my travel, when I was on the Fijian Islands in the middle of the Pacific, I uh, actually that was also during 
prayer I had now become a lot more Christian than I was before I, I was thinking maybe I should probably not do this travel just entirely for myself and this might be a little selfish I should probably also let others participate and then write maybe at least a book about the journey and I had written diary until that point and because I was on a boat with a, a Belgium guy who was intending to write a book and he he had told me that you need to have heard of a story at least for about five times until you're willing to pay for a book about this story um because i knew that i was thinking okay if i if i will put all this effort into writing a book i should probably also put some effort into marketing <laughs> and then wrote a german news company um, hey, I'm Christopher. I'm here in the middle of the Pacific right now. Started, having started in Germany about two years ago with just 50 bucks, you want to <laughs> probably write an article with me? And they came back, sure. And then that was the first big article being published about my trip. And that got shared a couple of thousand times on Facebook and all that. And a German student in Magonza in the west of Germany read this article and uh, somehow felt very strange while reading it. Like I would probably play a, um, play a role in her life. Actually, you can look the whole story up on YouTube. <laughs> we get uh, we made a whole, let's say, sort of small movie for that for our wedding about this with English subtitles at least. So she felt strange and then started writing me, and she was one of about thirty to forty people who were writing me things and she just said, said something like oh it's great what you're doing i like that and i just said thank you <laughs> greetings from the philippines it's just a very <laughs> short message back but then somehow we got into contact with each other and uh started to bond very well and uh, yeah we ended up writing for 15 months straight almost every day and it, it's really escalated <laughs> we were writing um pages of the pages of the pages to each other because that was almost like a soulmate but we had never seen each other before it was so crazy when you feel like you you really like that person you really connect so well but you've never seen this person in your entire life so you we we, we didn't know what this was because when you haven't seen each other you don't know if that's sort of real and if you're also match face to face so after 15 months, she said, where can I meet you? And I said, I still need a little bit more time until I'm back home. Uh, maybe you should come my way. And then she said, okay, how about India, your next destination? I'm going to book a flight to Mumbai, to Bombay. And I said, are you serious? Yeah, yeah, I'm serious. Uh, the 1st of April, I'm going to land in Bombay. And I said, no way. 1st of April, you <laughs> that's cheating. <laughs> come on. <laughs> and... <laughs> She said, okay. um, so, so I told her, no, seriously, are you serious about this? And she said, okay, you need to find out. Uh, dang, okay. <laughs> so the 1st of April, I managed to make my way to Bombay and then went there to the airport. And she did come and uh, we met each other for the first time and just drank a coffee together. And over this that, that was an incredible moment, seeing this person that I've known for such a long time, but sort of haven't known because I, I saw for the first time. Um, that was really incredible. I, was, I still remember that. That was very intense. Wow. Yeah. And um, so then did she continue on with your journey? Like, did you did you all travel together then or did she have to go back to Germany and then you kept traveling? So we we ended up traveling together for about two weeks and uh, got into a relationship at that time. And then she went back because she had to continue her studies in Europe. And then I made my way back over Pakistan and Iran within about three weeks, uh, no, three months time frame back to Europe. And then already half a year later, I proposed to her because I just found that this girl was so phenomenal <laughs> i never had expected to find someone like her and yeah then one and a half years ago we got married and it's, it's so I, I would have never imagined starting on this trip through 45 different countries uh, on my own as a single and then coming back with a german <laughs> right well especially because you didn't meet her 
out on the road. Like she wasn't another traveler was, who you just happened to run into. The yeah, yeah. yeah. You, <laughs> you, you left Germany and went all around the world so that you could meet someone on the internet, uh, which is, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is pretty amazing. Did you, did you then pick up the pace of your trip a little bit? Like, was that one of the reasons why you decided to to finish up your your travels or had you already had it in your head that you were going to have you know a time frame or a date where you were going to go back home so i didn't really have a certain time frame or date exactly or particular in my mind but uh already when i got to southeast asia i knew sort of now it's now it's time to go back and i might take another half a year for that but then three months later, I was in India and then we got together and now I had another reason more <laughs> to continue on this plan and yeah. execute on it. What What was it about being in Southeast Asia then that you said, all right, I've like this is starting to come to an end or I'm starting to see maybe the end of this, you know, for some people listening, they're like, oh, well, you only had like you had six more months. That's a lot, you know, a lifetime of travel for some people. But for you, <laughs> you had been doing it for three and a half years. So you were on like the downslope. You're saying, all right, this is going to end. What was it just like, OK, I've, I've kind of done this. I've seen a lot. I'm ready to go back to that life. Or or was it monetary? Like, what were the things that were pointing you to to calling this trip like to finishing it up? Uh, certainly not monetary <laughs> because I mean, right. I started with you left with bucks. nothing, right? So, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I figured that one out. <laughs> but um, it was all all the projects and the plans that I had because my focus on life had shifted during that time. Like I said at the very beginning, I was sort of doing this for myself and um, traveling with the goal of of doing this whole world trip, and then within my travel also then with with becoming more christian and all that i i also had this longing to spend my energy for other people and uh, all these visions and projects how i could do that when i'm back in germany and this this was a major driver and then also if you read the book you can sort of relate onto this um also, without <laughs> wanting to sound too spiritual or too blown off here, but how I was sort of, uh, yeah, being 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 helped or guided through this this whole trip, it sort of for me it felt like I was on the hand of um, somebody greater than me, and who was helping me through through this all, yeah, almost through these pathed ways um, before me, and then in Southeast Asia everything sort of was pointing to home um and it was it was a couple of things when you read my book i <laughs> explain it there in detail but um a lot a lot of this oh, it, it sounds so stupid when i just uh, say it in a few sentences like signs pointing into one direction uh, it really sounds so es esoteric <laughs> yeah but uh, you had spent three and a half years, four years doing this. Like you were pretty in tune with, with what you, what was going on inside your head, right? And probably more so than most people who are at home and like day-to-day -day life is just normal, right? It's kind of standard and you do your thing and you're not really having to think about a lot or question yourself or question other stuff happening. But when you're out on the road and especially when you're out as long as you are, you know, you really do become very in tune with yourself and your feelings. And so I, I think that you were probably just at a point where like, I know myself really well at this point. Like, and this is just this season of life has, has is starting to come to an end for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was also sort of like an, um, like an outside guidance. So, I mean, as a Christian, a Christians believe the, the the whole point about this religion is the relationship with God Himself through Jesus. And then you also, when when you have this relationship, you also start to feel that there's um, there's really a back and forth. And within that, certainly there there was, yeah, there was there was a part of me that was 
draw more into that direction. But then during the, my entire trip, sometimes doors would open up and others would close. And I, it's sort of like a flow when you're sitting in a river and the, it's just the whole riverbed is going uh, to make a left turn. And you know, okay, there's no point in trying to go right. Just better make the left turn. And so that was how it felt like that um, when a lot of opportunities open up into one direction and it feels sort of very easy to go that way and uh, which 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 doesn't mean f uh, only from the outside circumstances but also from from an yeah inner feeling drawing it's it's hard to explain that <laughs> without sounding too yeah too blown off <laughs> no but that that makes a lot of sense and um when you travel again because this is what's interesting to me is like this is a huge part of your life right it's four years obviously had a major impact on you on your faith on you know you found your wife obviously there was a thousand other things that changed in you over these four years that made you into the person you are today what are kind of your thoughts on travel now like is it still something that you're pushing to do more of or like kind of what is it like what role is it playing in your life now because it is such a that's a that, four years is a long 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 time especially in someone who you know at this point you're like in your mid-20s so you know there's a huge chunk of your life so where does it where does it live now what kind of role does it play <laughs> traveling so it's like meeting a new friend so at the very beginning you sort of get to know each other and then later on you you get yeah you know each other very well and even though if it takes if you don't pr probably see each other for a year or two still when you meet again it's very familiar so that's the same with traveling and me <laughs> it's it's like meeting an old friend who i know very well and I, yeah, I still love it, and I think that traveling is probably the best antidote to prejudices, because we tend to, even if we don't want to admit it, but <laughs> we tend to have a lot of prejudices, to or just the lack of understanding for other people and other cultures, and uh, traveling helps with that. And at the same time, gives you some of the greatest treasures and most beautiful experiences on Earth, which is also and primarily the encounter with people from different places and i have i would say i've got family all over the world right now which for me then again would be the the primary incentive right now to continue traveling just to meet all these beautiful people again yeah and yeah yeah go make new friends meet old friends yeah exactly. and get to, and get to really just be out there among people you know that so then for you you, you've spent a lot of time traveling and, and done a lot of travels. I want to ask you about your biggest travel mishap, um, whether this be something like a situation that you got yourself into by doing something, you know, dumb or whether it be a situation that that, you know, you found yourself in. Do you have a story that you think like, you know, 50 years from now, you're still going to be telling because it sticks out in your mind as one of these <laughs> great travel stories? Ah, uh, yeah, well, a, a, a mishap, you mean I want to, <laughs> well, actually, I wouldn't want to tell that story. So this is why I, I, I wrote a book, because telling it, it's really the most embarrassing story of my whole life. I, I never had such an embarrassing um, yeah, occasion like that one. So I really don't want to tell that to anyone, but I will. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> let's, let's do it for now. Okay, let's. So uh, when, when I got to Peru, um, I was around with a friend of there and her working colleague had died just the day before or so. So they had this, uh, before the funeral, you've sort of have this, um, yeah, this, uh, this, this opportunity where everybody can come to say goodbye to the, um, to the dead person who was already in the uh, sacrifice. Uh, in the casket, he told me out with yeah. yeah in the casket, he told me out with some vocabulary probably. So they had this um, occasion there. Do you know what's that called? Yeah, like a viewing. Usually, we'll say in the U.S. Yeah, so it's, exactly. yep. perfect viewing. So they had this viewing, and we so we went there in the evening uh, to this viewing and entered this small hall with uh, just a, yeah, also a lot of stone on the floor and then yeah 
it was already feeling a little bit cold, but then in the middle of the hall there was um, the person with a lot of flowers, uh, a little bit lifted up, and everybody could come there. And in the room were about 80 people, and they had a few snacks on the side, and everybody was chatting quietly with each other. The husband of the person who died was standing right next to um, the the passed away woman. So we went there and said our uh, condolences and uh, then sat down at the side and uh, had, I, I think, a small snack. And the whole feeling and the whole atmosphere was sort of so depressing. So I've, I really felt so sorry. And at that point, I was already, I had already started reading a little bit in the Bible. So I picked out my small pocket Bible from <laughs> yeah from my trousers. I just had it in there and uh, started to read a little bit. To I, I thought might be interesting to find if there's something fitting to such a situation or whatever, uh, because they say you can find comfort in there and whatever. So I just was flipping th through the pages and then uh, reading an interesting spot right now when the the, the husband uh, approached me and. And then um, was saying if if I got something for him that I could I could tell him, so I read out that verse to him because I thought probably that's that's fitting and maybe that will cheer cheer him up a little bit. And um, then he was nodding and leaving again, and I was happy to have been of some help at least. And um, then the children of him came to me and said. Um, do you, you mind repeating that uh, once again in, in, in a small time? And I said, sure, why not? And not thinking of anything bad. And then all the people in the room started to come together and <laughs> form a crowd <laughs> around the, the dead woman. And um, I was thinking, okay, maybe someone is going to hold a, uh, yeah, some some sort of, uh, saying here is oration and but no speaker would come <laughs> everybody was just looking at me and then i realized oh dang i probably they have mistaken me with some sort of missionary or whatever <laughs> I, I don't know what's happening here and i but now that everybody had come together i thought okay would be bad to disappoint them because they i mean everybody's so sad already so i don't want to make it worse and what what bad could happen i just need to get up say a few words probably read out that verse again say a prayer and and that's it everybody will be happy and content so i can do that for them so i get up and uh, then get into the middle of this crowd right in front of the dead person and then started okay um we all have very uh, good memories with and then i started to realize oh what 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 was her name again <laughs> and i started to stutter and uh, looking to the flowers if there's any card where i could read the name and nowhere there was the name so and the only word i could think of in that moment was la muerta which is like the dead body <laughs> the, right the <laughs> and this this the dumbest word you could ever say but I, because i didn't have a name that was the word then i said we all have good memories with the the, the dead person and yeah and it's sometimes it's hard <laughs> in life and things happen that we don't expect and um so, so I, I, in my head, I was thinking, okay, I, somehow I need to end this <laughs> before it began. This is horrible. I, I need to go somewhere. So uh, I, I read the verse and then said, okay, just um, let's let's pray. And then uh, thank you, God, for having brought us here together to say goodbye to... Oh, no. To, yeah. To the dead person. <laughs> And it just made it worse and worse and worse, and it was so horrible. I was feeling so awful, I, like the probably like the captain who smashed the Titanic into the iceberg. <laughs> it was it was so horrible. And after I said the amen, then the friend who brought me there just looked at me and said, "We better go." <laughs> oh man. We went away, and I felt so bad. I probably had destroyed like the last memories of this husband and his wife. Oh man, oh, that is but tough. Luckily, that that was so horrible. Luckily, then the the next day, 
I got to know that then later they invited a proper priest to <laughs> sort <Okay>. of um, <laughs> straighten that out. <laughs> oh man! Well, you you it came out of a good place, right? You were trying from, to do something good. Yeah, so I was missing a little bit of vocabulary <laughs> there, also yeah. in telling the story in English, but it was awful. It was it really I never had an embarrassing moment as that oh, <laughs> in my man. entire life. Well, I don't know what. Remy, I should have asked anyone. I just aborted the whole thing. Oh, I don't know. It was horrible. Yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? You were trying to do something nice, and it just ended up to be a little awkward. And honestly, maybe it was even more awkward for you than them, right? I mean, I'm, you know. So I don't know. I don't, it was very awkward. Maybe it was okay. I guess your friend knew. She's like, "Let's get out yeah, of here." Imagine yourself in that situation when, probably in the distant future, your wife dies and then there's this guy that nobody knows and you think oh, oh he's probably a priest or whatever oh, and he's starting to give a speech and it turns out to be like that then oh man oh man well i appreciate you sharing the story because uh yeah. that it's a that's a mishap that is exactly what we talk about with the mishap <laughs> there so uh christopher i i appreciate you coming on thanks so much for joining me today and showing everyone out there that, that you can travel on any budget. You started with $50 in your pocket. You you blew 35 right off the bat the first night, right? Um, and that relying on kindness and generosity of others is the best way, one of the best ways to travel. And you certainly saw that come up over and over and over and over again in your travels. So remind people one more time, where should they go to find you, to grab the book? Where How can they get a hold of you? Okay, so if you just go on Amazon, you can um, get the Kindle version, the paperback, or the audiobook, and you can. You should probably check out my YouTube account, Christopher Schacht. <laughs> I know it's very difficult to spell. It's S C H A C H T, and the book is called "Around the World on Fifty Bucks: How I Left with Little and Returned a Rich Man." And of course, rich meaning rich in relationships and all the people who are met and also a different perspective on life yeah very cool and we will link everything up in the show notes so yeah like christopher said might be harder uh to spell his last name that's fine you can go to the show notes extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows we'll link everything up we'll link up his book we'll link up the youtube channel and all that good stuff as well so you can find that there at extra pack of peanuts.com slash shows thanks again christopher i really appreciate you taking the time to come on tell us about your experience and about your journey um because it's one that's worth telling so thank you so much Travis, it was a great time. Thank you so much. Even though we started off with a <laughs> with a mishap. That's right. Uh, we, started, we ended. Sorry, we ended. We the ended with the on the mishap. But that's the best. Everyone's going to have mishaps. If you're out there traveling, you're going to have mishaps at some point or another. Yeah, especially if you're, you know, if you're sitting there doing a eulogy, you know, in a different language. I mean, yeah. Listen, you tried your best. That's all anyone can ask for. So, Christopher, <laughs> thanks so much. Everyone who's listening. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us number one rated travel podcast. And until next time, everyone, happy free travels.